large crowds, family disagreement, plans that are not going to plan, commitment beyond all else, disagreement between nations. It's almost as if this text was describing a week in Westminster. But the reading that we have today contains very sound, logical advice, whoever we are. Think things through. Weigh up the options. Make a plan. And make sure that it's not just a plan that you want to do, but it's a workable plan. A plan that will come to fruition. Not simply what you hoped for. But how often does this actually work? How often do we actually consider this really wise advice about setting ourselves on the right path before we begin? Near where my children used to go to school in Northampton, there was a plan to build a large housing estate. When I say a large housing estate, it was about 1,900 homes. And to serve this, you obviously need different bits of infrastructure. And in particular, a road for people to get to the houses. Otherwise, they'd just be in the middle of a field, wouldn't they? So, a new access road was made, joining onto a dual carriageway. It was about um, half a mile long, maybe about three quarters of a mile. There was plans to extend it in the future up to another roundabout. And uh, halfway up this road, they'd put in a crossroads with traffic lights. And uh, along each side of the road, there was a footpath. And one of these footpaths was extra wide so that you could have a cycleway. They put street lights along the side of it so that if it was dark, you could see where you were going. Everything's great. Except they never built the houses. For five years before we left, and five years nearly since we left, that road has sat there, fenced off, no traffic on it. The plans were put in place just before the housing crash in 2008, when the banks went and everything went. And that was it. The plans came to a halt. And so it stands there, like a folly, but flat. A foundation, but no tower. A road to nowhere that no cars ever drive along. No bus for the proposed park and ride system because there's no commuters. 
we make a plan, we assess whether it's right, we move forward. But there are times it is best to cut your losses, to cancel a project before you begin. But Jesus wasn't really talking about buildings, was he? The passage concerns the motivation of our hearts to be God's people. And whether our ultimate objective is really framed at being his. Whether we are willing to commit to truly be his. There's a crowd there, a big crowd surrounding Jesus. But he would know that they were not all followers. Some were there probably for the entertainment, to to hear the talk, but that was all it was. It was just a talk. Just some words. It might have a joke or two in it. Probably told better than any I would ever tell. There'd be some there probably because their mates were there. Their their friends were listening. Maybe their family members were listening and paying attention and absorbing it and saying, yes, this is right. But they were simply there because their friends were there. There's probably some just being a bit nosy. Doing a bit of a rubber neck. Seeing a crowd and wondering what was going on. A bit like how people slow down to look at a crash on the other carriageway. Oh, that's interesting. As they themselves have their own car crash. Jesus wants all these people to take note that he is seeking disciples. People who will follow him. People who will engage in the mission of God. People who will commit their lives. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to simply be a case of coming, hearing the story and going home to live your life as you lived it before. They've got to have to learn and grow. And with that, change. Discipleship is about going through the narrow gate. And along the narrow way. Not a broad path. And at times it's a bit of an uphill struggle. There might be times on that path, that journey, where just putting one foot in front of the other is a bit of a slog. And throughout, we keep on going. Not as a matter of our fitness, but because our mind is set on where we are going and why we're going there. Because we're God's people. A couple of weekends ago, when I was on my summer holidays with the family, 
Uh, I took the kids and the dog on a little 30 minute walk about a mile and a half long and it was to Agleston Rock which is this big um, they say it's a a 400 tonne lump of sandstone. I don't know how they measured it. Presumably you measured the volume and you know the weight of sandstone and calculate it. They didn't get a set of scales. Oh yeah, that's 400 tons. Um, This boulder that's maybe about 15 foot tall or something like that. This huge rock that's on the top of a a knoll uh, out on Studland Heath and when you're up there you get a fantastic view of Pool Harbour and you can see along the Dorset coast quite a distance and you can see across to the Isle of Wight and it's a beautiful view there's some real comparison of heathland and sea and uh, on a beautiful sunny day as it was you know it's really cracking but as you approach from the angle that we're approaching from the contour lines get a bit close together the path gets a little bit steep if you actually come in from the other side it's not too bad but I took them the short way Let's just say, um, at that time, I was not the most popular father in the world. Uh, A comment was made, is this it? And there's not a tea shop. A tea shop would ruin it there. You know, it's lovely, it's quiet. How the two guys that were about to climb the rock and had taken crash mats with them to do a bit of free-fall bouldering, freestyle bouldering, I don't know how they'd carried that, that distance, but, you know, we'd got there. The reward of the view is a return on our commitment to get there. There's no mountain railway. There's no easy road to drive. You have to decide you will do it or decide that you're not going to do it. And it's the commitment to see the picture that gets you there. Effort and reward often go together. They're recognised in exam results. It's seen in the learning of musical instruments. In sport, it can lead to gold medals and cups and other trophies, maybe even a world record. They require individual commitment time, effort, and it leads to success. But in church sometimes, and wider society too, 
The concept of commitment is almost a dirty word. It's a dirty word in our postmodern language. It's not something we want to do. It goes against the concept of being an individual. It requires us to see ourselves as not the greatest, but part of a bigger picture. We all contribute together and jointly achieve an objective. And it's an objective that moves as we get there. There's always something new, something exciting, something different. And quite often, those bits that we find, the mountaintops along the way and the journey to get them, the steep contour lines or the track at the back, sometimes it's not the path of our choosing. I wonder if Noah and Faith would have been happier if I'd led them the longer route, which has a gentler slope. Sometimes you have to trade one against the other, don't you? But sometimes we don't get to choose. And that path is somebody else's. And so we might get frustrated because that wasn't our choice. We might get frustrated when we imagine others are not putting in the same effort as ourselves. We might get worked up when they appear to withdraw from the team because the vision was not a shared vision. We didn't all have ownership of it together. But at these times, we must ask ourselves, is it simply the other person who is wrong? Or is it something to do with ourselves, whether our own understanding of the journey might be wrong? Our own choice of path might be the wrong one. We are to love and try and understand and encourage each other. Not undermine, not pick holes, not knock people down, but build together in a way that keeps us growing, whatever our age. It takes effort to do the walk. Not everybody walks at the same pace. That trip to Agleston that I did a couple of weeks ago, I've done it a number of times before. It's considerably faster when it's just me and the dog. You know, when we just go for it, that's it. And it was quite a bit slower 11 years ago when I was carrying Noah on my back and Emmeline had Faith strapped to our front and our dog was an arthritic elderly golden retriever. But yet, although it was a slower journey, although it was more challenging, 
although it was a harder day, perhaps the reward was even more special. I think you had the footprints a couple of weeks ago. That poem, that reflection. The road is narrow that we go on, but the Father is with us and carries us at times. And carries us when we seek to be with Him but are struggling. He lifts the load off us and helps move us forward. But we have to be journeying there in the first place. Being together, one family. Those who are younger, those that were out the front, those who are the leaders, those of you who aren't the leaders, we are one family. Younger and older across the generations we're called to be one and we have to think how do we journey together to be disciples to learn and grow wherever we are on that journey to be the people God wants us to be and to engage in his mission in the world working with a joint effort and it's for this vision this vision of a family a vision of people who are disciples and willing to give of themselves that Jesus looks into the crowd and says you have to reevaluate your life Are you in this for yourself? Are you in this for me? What's the purpose that you hold on to? Are you going to choose to learn and grow or not? This is what being a Christian disciple requires. Putting faith ahead of the other elements in our life and when we do that God then calls us to serve in different ways some to be junior church leaders some to be ministers some to be musicians some to have other roles Some to have many roles, some to have few, but we're all to be disciples, learning, growing, and learning and growing so that we may help others learn and grow. All for his purpose. And it's not an easy path. Across the world, we see our brothers and sisters in the church encountering the challenge of living 
and proclaiming the gospel in nations where they are oppressed, where they are persecuted for the beliefs that they hold and that we hold. They are in the position that Jesus says in this passage will occur. And that some may have to give even their own life. I wonder if we in our faith are strong enough that we would continue in such a nation to sing our hymns and our songs and be faithful to him. In those opening couple of songs, we, we had words of delight and rejoice and being glad. Being glad in who God calls us to be. How he calls us to live. How he calls us even in times of trial to express our faith. I would like to think that I would be faithful. And I imagine that you too would like to think you would be faithful. But we can be thankful that today we are not tested in that way in the UK. Though of course the history of our tradition in this land is that as dissenters we would have been denied opportunities. We would have had people come to try and close our church down. Things that we're used to now, we would have been stopped from doing. The, the church um, where I felt the call to ministry from, a Tadley Old Meeting uh, in the top end of Hampshire, um, was built part of the 1662, um, so I'm leaving the church. Uh, leaving the old church, the Anglican church, to establish meeting houses. And it was built to look like a house so that they wouldn't get caught. And it was built with a way out the back so that the preacher could escape. Not from the congregation, I think. It was built because they wanted to worship with an element of freedom, but yet they were oppressed. We've got that freedom to worship now. But as a nation, as we've moved forward in this 500 years since then, as freedom comes to us, with power to have our children go to school, or to go on to university, in ways that nonconformists in the past couldn't. Do we remember those suffering, oppression, struggling to gain access to education and to health care, maybe even in our own country? It's appalling to see in the press and 
on television the, the, the plight of people who've lived in the UK and paid their taxes for 40 or 50 years needing to prove that they have a right to remain. And we saw it a couple of years ago with the Windrush generation struggling to prove they had a right to be here. And now we see it again with some of the EU nationals told they would automatically have settled status but are struggling in the process. A difficult path but one that we should think about because we've been there before but sometimes when we get freedom we forget how things were Jesus' path forward is not a road to nowhere but is a journey to righteousness and peace and he calls disciples to be people who will proclaim that who will have love Love for their neighbour who is next door and their neighbour overseas. Love even for those that are not their neighbour but are their family within the church. That righteousness and peace does not mean that it's going to be peaceful on the way. It does not make it an easy drive with every traffic light green. No barriers to your progress. There are struggles in the life of a disciple. But in becoming one, we discover the fullness of God's love. And we hopefully share that fullness of love with the world. Amen.